The Hurling Pod on OTB Sports. I look at the way Pekin celebrate. I look at the way Limerick celebrates a monster, right? To, to go, we actually want to win the Leinster. You know, or are they treating it as just another game, another step forward? That's, that's the question I have. Subscribe to the GA Podcast feed on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. You know what that sound means. It means the glorious path of nostalgia is in front of us. Uh, the reluctant, the most reluctant nostalgia piece potentially ever uh, is a uh, Euro 2012 look back. We're going to be joined by Simon Cox of the Republic of Ireland who played in that squad in uh, just a moment. Dan McDonald has been with us in studio all morning, just wating for this moment, waiting for your opportunity that to oh, that was like yourself. It was like an alarm call that you had in your head throughout <laughs> that entire month. Uh, at around this time, 10 years ago, the... Irish fans had departed. It was uh, a year and three days ago that game against Italy, to be precise. Oh. So, what? Well, where were you today? Three. Or ten I was years still ago? in the country. Still in the country. I was still in the country. Um, I actually. So Sopot was the base, and again, like I think most Irish fans were there would remember Sopot. Some people might have flown into Poznan, say directly and stuff. I mean, I always hear the stories of. Uh, I think. I think I was. I think last week I posted a tweet about the Spain anniversary game, and some guy responded to say. Um, that the Spanish game was the second game and he had to leave at half time in that match to begin his overland like you know I think it was a flight and then a, a sort of a flight ferry and then a cross Europe trip to Poznan for the final game oh against gosh. Italy which was a complete dead rubber I remember speaking to people at the time who were flying out for the third game thinking we won't do the first two let's let's fly out for the third the match stages. Yeah, so I, and maybe stay on for the knockout stages so but I, I stayed in the country so I went back to Sopot so it was a little bit like 28 days later or something where you <laughs> arrive back in because uh, a lot of people had gone home from Poznan but I had to go back I think I had one night left in the hotel and maybe I'd left some stuff there and you walk through like the town and it's just like deathly it's like oh that's actually a square which previously it was just like this massive human body it's just like you know people being chairlifted around the place I mean, many of them FBI officials <laughs> and and um, then you get like you get to the hotel and there was a package deal uh, that a lot of the Irish media were on so I walked in and, and like sort of the person in reception vaguely recognised you and it was like uh, oh yeah you're back and I, I sort of said yeah and I was like, uh, I'm the only one here. And you could just see the look of horror because clearly the, the deal had maybe in, included this sense that you know, an extra night, if everyone, I think if everyone got through to the knockout and actually would have triggered like a, an extension of your night in the hotel, I think I was the only one that went back. So they practically much had an empty hotel <laughs> that night. And it was just me um, who then like, you know, had one night there and then I stayed on for the rest of the tournament and... and that was that was that. Yeah. Twenty eight days later, it was, to the, it was to the bizarre. Show. Yeah, I think Emma Malone would have stayed on as well, and maybe one or two others. But uh, otherwise, it was that sense of yeah, it, the party's over. You mentioned the Spain game. I mean, how could we ever forget this? You're trying to you're trying to file at this point, I presume. Is uh, well. I mean, sadly, it, was, it wasn't too hard to file in this game because there was no sense of like a, a last-minute goal is going to come along and uh, you know lead to some kind of rewrite. Mm. I mean, sadly, that game was that game was over from pretty early, really, wasn't it? I mean, that was the thing. It wasn't one for like last-minute sort of or 84th was it Robbie Brady and Lille was what maybe five minutes to go, and that's like frantic rewrite but it's a happy story rewrite whereas I think that was the thing about just covering that tournament I know it's just a media point but it was 
why, why I sort of <laughs> found that hard going is that from the Croatian game onwards, it was just a lengthy post-mortem. Like, every day was almost, well, what went wrong? And then, okay, the Spanish game was a brief flurry of, well, actually, maybe, maybe, just maybe there's a chance, you know, maybe there's a chance. But then that chance was, was extinguished pretty quickly. And then you had this, like, drag of a build-up to the Italy game, Whereas it's just like, well, how do you put a spin? It's like, oh, but wouldn't it be great to get a point or, you know, this sort of complete dead rubber vibe. I mean, like Ireland have never played in a dead rubber major tournament match before. You know, it's sort of like it's sort of a surreal thing where it's like, yes, you're in the stadium. And this is a big major tournament game. And yes, it's part of the rota. So a lot of people around Europe are watching this game yet. I don't know. It obviously had meaning to people who were involved. I know I talk about like one of the things was the trap didn't actually really rotate and give players, give some of the squad players a game, which just created their misery. Like Stephen Hunt did that sort of amazing column at the end of the tournament, just summed up the feelings of a lot of the fringe players. But it was just just this long, relentless sort of, you know, players didn't want to be talking to us. We probably didn't want to be talking to players because what what can you actually say? Mm. You know, oh, big game against Italy. It's like everyone knew it was a little bit of a sh- charade in some respects. You yeah. know, that, that the party was really over. Like I, I wonder, as like time goes by, will your twenty twelve like be used as as some sort of informing factor in like being a cultural touchstone of that era because mm. like it really is like if it was a successful tournament like I think you know things like the the group of debt uh, which our group became known as and like the, the whole sort of trying to rebound out of a recession might have become a, a much bigger thing that was married to a sporting occasion which like I mean you can't marry the two things together but it's something that we did pretty successfully when it comes to things like Italia 90 and uh, Euro 88 and Ireland waking out of its slumber and you know <laughs> yeah, Jack's I, army helping us along that way I wonder if you know Euro 2012 had been a successful venture for Ireland would it have the same level of adoration because like that's how we all that's what we envisaged before Euro 2012 like I mean especially people of a certain age who had 10 years without a major tournament their only memories of 2002 is like a, a television on wheels coming into their classroom yes or people sitting there leaving certain like whispering around the, the, the exam hall people like who weren't even alive for Italia 90 but have memories of Italia 90 because they've watched really in the yeah. years so much that was the entire experience of Ireland at a tournament and 2004 2006 were, were heartbreaking qualification campaigns 2010 was the worst of the lot Ugh. and then all of a sudden Estonia got drawn out and we're, we're going to a tournament baby it's like the, the good times are back and sure we get Sean St. Ledger's goal which was a beautiful moment for a, a period of time but like I mean compared to that like I mean it, it just must be one of the highest expectations for a tournament or, or for any sort of Irish sporting event that just didn't meet the reality I mean and you, you capture it there I mean I suppose every, everyone sees Irish major tournaments through where they were at that point in their life right and I suppose I see Euro 2012 I would have turned 30 that year so for a lot of my friends say we were too young and too broke to go to the World Cup in 2002 yeah. like we thought about it but just couldn't like 19, 18, 19 just didn't have the money to go to Asia some people did our age but not not many did and I remember writing this around the time that so like the previous tournament experience was 1994 in America, which wouldn't have been cheap. But obviously, a lot of Irish people went, but there would be a lot of Irish people over there. But it was sort of a mainland Europe tournament for the first time since 1990. So for like for anyone sort of under the age of maybe 40 that was there, yeah, like there was, and there was that real sense building up to it that it was like this. It was like this is our time. This is our generation's chance to be. 
the adult generation during Italia 90 and USA 94 that you would have grown up and watched them and got a sense this is big I can but, be I'm really in the but it's like yeah exactly like, this is it like you know everyone let's let's watch this and get down to like the Walkins 10 roundabout yeah. or something or like the, the Polish version of it and that it became so deflating so quickly it was that realisation that no this is not this is not our moment and um, like some people would say that like and we're not mentioning the Saipan word again but that was the end of the age of innocence to some degree that the discourse around the team became a lot more cynical a lot more fractured um, and so 2012 turned sour very very quickly and you have even the Roy Keane say representation in the studio having a go with the fields of Athen Roy and you had this conflict between people going should we be celebrating this this is crap this is dreadful and this is a great celebration and of course from my perspective you, you can't get away from the fact that like you know the FBI at the time like the whole thing was massively cosmetic it was like we're all having a party uh, yet at home like Monaghan United went bust during that tournament like a Premier Division team in our country folded during that and it was like a footnote because like, well we're over here with the tournament like can we not not no be dealing can we not be dealing with this here but it actually like sums up the complete dysfunction of the game and like in many respects that's why the whole year 2012 thing was like one big lie it was like here we are having a great time over here in Poland and isn't it brilliant we're here but actually like it was built on like foundations made of sand and everything that's come out subsequently you hear a lot of the stories the anecdotal tales around 2012 it was like the extreme version of what was coming down the tracks and you know in a strange way um and I found it massively disappointing at the time but like what 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 course does history take if Ireland did well in that tournament do you just prolong that sort of possibly uh, you know and 2016 was a much better major tournament experience and obviously there was that accompanied a lot of mad stuff going on in the background too um, maybe if there was but, 24 teams in 2012 Ireland get a different group uh, it's a bit softer it's easier to that what, 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 what way does it run who what knows way does it run? Um, we've got Simon Cox on the line Simon you're very welcome to the show how are you getting on yeah, I'm fine, lads. How are you? I, I'm not sure whether to say I'm sorry for bringing this up or, or what to say. I, I presume it's not an overly fond memory for you, but it's still playing and starting against Spain in a major tournament. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's still probably the uh, the best memory I've got in, in football in terms of you know being at a major tournament. But ultimately, what transpired throughout the tournament probably wasn't uh, isn't something that lives fond in the memory. Simon, I was just going to say that because you're probably in that s- small group of players in that squad who didn't get 2016. Like, well, actually, maybe it was quite a number of that squad actually didn't. But it's probably a strange one because the ones who went to 2016, you hear them say, well, it was, it was a better experience than 2012. But obviously, you didn't get that chance. So, like, it was, for you, it was still a special point in your, in your history. Like, I, I presume the reference point you would have a, with a lot of Ireland supporters who ever t- talked to you is that Spain game, right? Like that is the moment that comes up. Yeah, I think it's the it's probably the the biggest question I get, I always get is what was it like playing at that tournament? What was it like playing against teams like Spain and, and Italy? But ultimately we weren't there just to take part. And and for me, you know, listen, we we wanted to do well. Of course we did. But then as soon as you get the group that we got, I mean it was always going to be difficult. Um but I just think that had the group, if the group had been the same, which is fine, but had the games been drawn in a different order, then maybe we would have had a little bit more of a chance. Um, you know, yeah, if we had got off to a good start, it might have given us a, a bit of a bounce. But had we played, say, Italy first, then Croatia, you know, you probably, you, you could have come out with 
two points possibly and then it would have been hang on to your hats for for the Spain game but um, it just wasn't to be and we we didn't whether we believed we would get out of the group or not or or, you know you're sort of digging into people's mindsets then but um, listen for me it was it's still the biggest uh, accomplishment for me in my career the the group is a is a problem when when it comes to like uh, expectations and and trying to get out of it. I mean, it's just the the talent you guys were up against. In terms of the stuff that you could control, in terms of the organisation, in terms of logistics, when, when did you realise that maybe the the tournament hadn't been handled perfectly, and maybe things could have been done a little bit differently? Well, we went to we went to Italy to start with. We went to Monte Catini, um, and we flew in there, and then we. We played a game against Hungary um, leading up to the tournament. Then we went uh, obviously over to Poland, and um, which was great. You know, travel was fine. Uh, got on the bus to to the hotel, checked in. You know, there was obviously a little bit of concern over families getting there and where they stayed and all that sort of stuff, but because they weren't allowed to stay in the same hotel, they had to stay in a different hotel. So it was all of that sort of stuff. That's, you know, that's part and parcel of that, I guess. Um, then we had the open training session and I mean, you guys have probably been to loads of tournaments and, and been around sort of finals and things like that. When you do open training sessions, you get, you put in a stadium and you, and you get um, supporters that come and, and watch and all they want to see really is sort of crossing and finishing. It's just a, it's just a time for the players who have done a little bit of travelling to stretch your legs, say hello to people. Um, we did we did possession and we did like full on training session without any fun, um, <laughs> which was which was trapped. You know what I mean? Like it was it was all business and no no pleasure really. Um, but we sort of looked at it and and we played a possession game with no goals and. It, when you, if you if you were a, if you were a supporter coming to watch that you'd be thinking like I've travelled all this way to come watch you know not necessarily the, the open training session but see the lads enjoy training you know get to see speak to people and all that sort of stuff and um, you know I've come to watch a, a possession training session so that wasn't wasn't a great start and then uh, but then all of a sudden you know you get into it and um, you know the build up to the first game the Croatia game is it just intensifies you know 10 100 fold really you had to didn't the players have to sort of barter for a day off around that time wasn't it to the build up to that first game there was like I, I seem to vaguely recall at the time an, e- an email or something coming through that like training had been called off and I think it was a, a product of this like intense build up that you, you had right yeah I, I, I can sort of vaguely remember that we we'd gone from so obviously the lads who were playing in the Premier League and the lads who were playing in the Championship at the time obviously finished the season at different times. So the lads who were playing in the Championship, I think, finished first. And then they then went over to, to Dublin and did a certain amount of days prior to, to everybody else meeting up. Then obviously the, the Premier League boys came in Um and then they did a few days. Then we went off to Italy. Then we played the game. So you're talking, I don't know, second week of May, probably as soon as soon as the season finishes, talking second week of May all the way through to the final day of uh, of the campaign. So final day of the Italy game. 
you're probably talking two days off. Um, but that was probably Trap's way. It's the Italian way. It's live, breathe, sleep, eat, drink, everything football without any respite. Um, but he sort of got that confused with what the island way is and compared to what the Italian way is. So, um, yeah, it, it was a little bit tough. But listen, ultimately, you're going into a major tournament. So it's not exactly going to be a walk in the park. How did Trap respond to this picture that Dan painted earlier on of the Ireland team being relatively close to this massive stag party? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think it was that. But um, he's, listen, he <clears throat> he's such an experienced manager um, and he understands what it takes to be successful. But the difference in cultures is, is sort of chalk and cheese, really. Um, the Irish way is to be at the tournament, to enjoy the, uh, the tournament, um, to try and do well at the tournaments uh, as well as at all the games uh, prior. But the Italian way is to win tournaments, is is to to win every game that they play in. So it's it, there's a difference in in sort of mindset in that way. Um, we were we weren't there on a stag party. <laughs> no, no. To be clear, we weren't suggesting Sorry, you were yeah, you were on a stag party, but it was more so the the environment of the hotel being in the middle of Sopot which was absolutely chaotic that's what I, the reference to I think like the players have spoken about it previously that you'd sort of take a walk down the town and it was manic like outside the window you could almost hear the fans outside as opposed to it being a sort of a the team staying in a retreat you were like right in the middle of the action if you know what I mean yeah I don't, I don't think I think put it this way we because we were on the beach as well and uh, and it was nice nice setting to be fair when the families come over you, if you had kids at the time you could sit and play with them on the beach for a little bit um, but you'd complain if you were miles away as well in the middle of nowhere um, so I feel like I get the I get the uh, the idea of where it was um, but you also have to think of if you do get a day a day off and you're in the middle of nowhere then what do you do so it's a it's a tough one. Uh, I think I think they did okay in that in that sense. Possibly shouldn't have been right in the middle of town um, because all of a sudden, as soon as uh, as soon as the build up to the games, to one day before the games, all of a sudden your hotel was was manic and uh, and raucous in the in the bar area. So there was there was little to no sleep happening anyway. So it's fine. So, so in, in that first game, Simon, you come on after 54 minutes for Aid McGeady, I think it was, in the defeat to Croatia. And I'm not sure, is it the impression you make? Is it how well you're going in training? But but what are the discussions like where Trap comes to you and says, you're starting up front for me against Spain? Uh, yeah. Um, well, the I don't know if you go, go back to the Italian game where we played in, um, in Belgium, where Andy Keogh did... Um, he did a really good job on Andrea Pirlo in that game. Uh, and we we ended up winning the game, I think, 2-0 or 2-1. Um, and Trapp sort of had that in his mind and he wanted to play sort of five across the middle, um, leave Robbie up top and and sort of try and compact the, mid, the midfield. It would have been... Um, it would have been, have been uh, Keith Andrews, Wheelow... Aiden, me, and and um, and Duffer, and we would have just tried to compact it as much as we can. Um, but 
all of a sudden you got to think of when you get the ball, you know, what do you do? And it's, uh, and it was just a tough, it was just a tough day at the office. Um, when you're coming up against those kind of, those kind of lads, when you, you're talking Xabi Alonso, Busquets, Silva, Xavi, Iniesta, it's uh it's a little bit of a, a tougher ask to try and keep hold of the ball when you regain it um, because you, you're without the ball for a long period of time. So, so your job was to to drop back that day, and and Robbie Keane was the, the sole striker. Yeah, he, it was it was to try and it was to try and uh, nullify the the midfield and, and make sure that we made it difficult to play uh, for the three or four um, Spanish lads in there, and and then it was trying to hit on the break. But for me, it was, I mean, listen, whether we would have played four four two, whether we would have played you know, any system possible. Um, I think we needed pace and between myself and Robbie, we're, we're not the quickest. So it was, it was always going to be a very, very tough ask. And we were always probably going to be sat back um, defending for most of it. So we needed a bit of pace and, and, you know, when he come to me and he said, look, we're going to play uh, in the Spain game. Are you okay with that? Or, you know, are you ready for that? And I was like, I'm, not, I'm never going to turn that down. So um, whether I thought I was the right option or not, um, you know, I'm never going to say no to to a possible start in a in a European Championships. I mean, they're European champions, they're world champions at this point. I can't imagine there's any way that you can underrate going up against Alonso, Busquets, Xavi, and then even Ramos and PK at the, the heart of their defence. But having said that, when you get out on that pitch that evening, were they even a level above what you expected? about four or five levels above. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, no, they, they just, listen, I think the fact that they, majority of them all play together, um, they either play Barcelona or they play Madrid. Um, obviously, there's a few that play, played in England as well, but majority of them know exactly the way they play all the time. Um, so it is possession-based football. It is, you know, exactly who's comfortable. I mean, one thing that I, I loved about sort of playing against it is that Ramos and PK split and Busquets just sat in the middle of them them two and, and they allowed their fullbacks to just go. Um, they had so much respect and so much um, belief in Busquets that he was able to sort of just drop and, and be that sort of focal point of their build-up play, um, which made it a lot, you know, made it very difficult for us because that the rotation of their midfield was just incredible. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a, a big lesson. After that, and I guess the the, the situation where the, you've got like a, a wind down into Italy, which is essentially a dead rubber game. What are those days like between that that Spain and that Italy game? Well, we got a day off after that one. Um, I think <laughs> I think it was just one of those that you need to sort of go see your families. Um, you know, try and get yourself back into some sort of frame of mind where you can have a go at the Italians. And um, I remember sort of walking around the hotel and um, going for a, going for a coffee, and um, it was it was tough. It was tough. And then and then you have to. We obviously had to fly to to the new hotel and and, and play the Italian game. But we still felt that there was a possible chance of getting something from that game. Um, there wasn't it wasn't down tools it wasn't um it, it wasn't give up at all it was it was let's have a go at this and see how we how we get on um but you know it, again it wasn't to be we weren't we weren't 
good enough on the on the day. Sorry, are you taking off at halftime in the Spain game? Yeah. So you all of a sudden are the, the scapegoat for, for that for that evening? Well, I think, I, I mean, I, I can't remember what the score was at halftime, two, three, whatever it was. But I mean, obviously what the, the decision to be made was that we weren't... 1-0. Was it one? So, well, I mean, it wasn't that bad then. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously what was happening probably wasn't, um, was what was required. And I guess, like I said, I think we needed some pace. So um, so coming off and, and, and bringing, I think Doyle came on, did he? Um, Walters, maybe. Yeah. I mean, it was, <laughs> tried to erase it from my memory. <laughs> Um, you know, but we needed something, and at one nil, possibly, did we need the the chat, or did we try and get back into the game, and then it, we got hit on on the counters and and everything else. So maybe that was the the case. Uh, just Simon, like, is I know you actually had quite good time for Trap and and Marco, and sort of they had good time for you clearly because they gave you some like chances in some really big games. But I think like the broader public perception outside I mean Trapp was given a new contract before the tournament but it felt like it was very damaging that exercise that whole competition and I think after that even that autumn it got a bit testy pretty quickly for Trapp like was there a sense of it actually felt like the end of something at the end of that competition if you know what I mean like it, it, it felt like that was the real turning point for Trapp that tournament that it, it promised so much but afterwards it was almost like the slow countdown unfortunately to his departure yeah I mean this is done I think when you because we went something like 14 games unbeaten leading up to the tournament yeah. um, so I think if any any manager in international football goes 14 games it's probably looking like they're going to get a new contract anyway um, just the way it works 14 games is probably two years or so in, in international games so if you're not in tournaments so it's um, he obviously done well, uh, but you then have the the fact that you've got a, a major tournament. And normally, when you look at international managers, they're they're sort of their their success is is developed on whether they do well in the tournaments to whether they get new contracts or not. But the fact that he got a new contract before the tournament suggested that he was the man going forward. And then obviously how the tournament unfolded there was obviously going to be a lot of backlash um, on one, his contract, and two, the fact that he, get, he got one on on how the tournament um, ended. Uh, Simon, our apologies for uh, bringing this all up again uh, this morning, but uh, thanks a million for, for taking the call and being so generous with your time. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thanks a million. Simon Cox there, uh, striker with the Republic of Ireland in 2012, in 2012 on the line there. Um yeah, like, I mean, that's, you were kind of talking about it a little bit earlier on, Dan, that that moment for uh, a whole cohort of people going over is definitely just the sense of, of chasing O2 to a degree, isn't it? Even, oh. even from your own perspective, is like, I mean, uh, journalistically, oh, it's like Pan being like the biggest story in the history of Irish sports and your first tournament since uh, 2002, you know? Yeah, like, I look, well, yeah, not to personalise it, but yeah, it was the first time covering Ireland at a major tournament. It was like, this, you know, this could be, you know, this could be great. You could be sort of, you know what's that? You know, writing the first version of history or something. You know, and and uh, I mean, really, it wasn't that. You know, as I said, it was like uh, it's a it, version it, of history. It's it a version of history. Let's look at things that went wrong. But as I said, so much of so much of the 
like at the, in the moment you get caught up in the day to day like that's one of the things being on the beat you cover the day to day it's always the next thing like what's going to happen and sometimes it's only with the remove of time like you step back and look at the sort of absurdity of aspects of it and it's sort of probably you 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 sort of knew it in your, in your time but you were living it so you were so used to it what was but the most it, absurd thing that happened in, from from your experience oh, yes. but it was just like I mean like, it's very, I don't want to go down this road but it was probably just the like the, the anecdotal tales of like sighting of you know John Delaney and various people around the place you know I don't want to go into it again we've been there before yeah. the stories are well told but I like, mean some, some of the clips are still there on YouTube like yeah. they haven't been destroyed by by, by history you know and but like everyone was caught up in the moment to some degree, you know, and you did have these sightings of various things. And even, like I think even as well, it's hard to talk about with sort of, a, you know, with, with Simon on the line. But I think I think the players were sort of given um, uh, that day off after that, that middle game. Um, and I think, you know, they, they just, I think they just went for it. I think this has been spoken about before. It was like, so she sort of was like, you know, it was sighting that one or two squad members sort of ended up hearing, did you hear such and such was on the beach in the early hours? Like, it's like, did this really happen? You know, it just, it ended up just becoming quite sad in a certain way, you know, but um, yeah, the absurdity was just, when you think about it, we're in this sort of, you'd always just hear what had happened in the cocktail bar last night or some venue or something. And as I said, I'll stand over the stag the stag party line. The players were not partaking in the stag yeah. party, to be clear. But but it, there was that overall sense of loss of complete sort of chaos. And I, I think people who travelled will all have their stories as well. I think a lot of fans were, and I think maybe for some of them as well. Like I can look at it from a very cynical point of view. That I didn't particularly enjoy it after the first game. Like I actually hated it, but that was just purely because of my own experience like there's maybe there could be friend groups listening to this who had the best trip of their life of like travelling across Europe and yeah. it's something for them that they'll always cherish and yeah the football was disappointing but it didn't matter because they had a great time so I think sometimes like you, you, can, you can sort of put your own misery on the memory of it but for a lot of people I'm sure it was great times too it kind of know? feels like it was a moment for everybody to say Ireland is back and narrator Ireland we're not back <laughs> we all wanted it so yeah, badly yeah. We, we had it like as you said it's true we, we had the reading in the years montage in our head of course before we it started we were, yeah. we were chasing that uh, David McLean has been in touch to say Poznan was great crack and I'm sure he wasn't the only one who had a, had a phenomenal time yeah. MOC who says anyone who booked to see Ireland after playing Croatia Spain and Italy needs their head examined was never going to get out of that group which I think is a, a fair point Sean O'Connor goes along with that as well saying god it was some shocking group uh, to get James Carew says someone whistled in the crowd before St. Ledger's goal and everyone thought it was offside so yes. we couldn't even enjoy that yeah I remember that very clearly actually yeah that's very that's a, that's a good memory yeah yeah we were I was in a pub so we didn't hear that whistle so like that moment was just just glorious that, that was that was I was like this is what it is to be an Ireland fan who isn't, yeah. uh, isn't a child I mean this is this is what it's all about uh, MOC says we were not good enough to be there only for we got Estonia we would not have beaten another qualifying team definitely getting Estonia was was a was a significant help yeah well, this, I think the point is that, and I think this has been touched on by players before like that team was past its peak like I really think that Ireland team would have done okay at the World Cup in 2010 but it was just it was a tournament too far and like someone like Simon's a bit different because he was probably in his Irish peak at that time that was yeah. his sweet spot of his Irish career but a lot of the others they weren't and I think that was one of the things they had that big long grueling build up I think quite a few of the players had had long seasons and were playing through injuries you saw Seamus Coleman and Yerevan there recently end of a long season 
just wasn't physically at his peak and he struggled I think there was quite a few Irish players in that boat as well yeah, in that right. tournament that had a big factor in it and then finally then Philip Nolan says there was a few young players that came through around that time that should have been brought in but traps stuck with the team that got us there unfortunately yeah well yeah. McLean was brought in when he was 23 yeah. like Seamus Coleman I think would have been 24 and wasn't brought you know James McCarthy I think had a family reason but again, he would have been 22. Like, they weren't 17, 18. That squad would have done quite well at the World Cup two years previously. Yeah, that's the whole point. It, w- it was definitely a... a the, the, the moment had passed. And yeah. even even the nine, the six to nine months from Estonia to the tournament itself was big in, in, in terms of where that group were. But Yeah, you forget how long a distance there was actually between those, those two periods. You forget a lot of things about that time. Yeah. OTB AM With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.